It's the question we all must answer. It's a question we all must face. It's the ultimate question. One final look next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Greetings and welcome to Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, brings us back to Matthew 27, looking at verses 11 through 26 in our final installment in our mini-series, The Ultimate Question All Must Answer. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And that is the question you and I are left with. What are we to do with Jesus? To do nothing is to do something, and that is to reject or ignore Jesus. That's perilous. Or do we accept him? Do we understand who he is and why this question is so important? These are questions we hope to answer for you today and help encourage you in your walk and relationship with Christ. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Remember, Pilate already said, I, I find no fault with them. That's like being in a court hearing when, when, the, when the judge says, dismissed, it's over. Jesus should have been let go at that point. But because of the people and everything, Pilate's going, I don't know what to do here. I'm going to send him over to Herod, let him deal with it. Because Herod already knew, he had heard the preaching of John the Baptist. He had heard everything that there was to hear about Jesus. Why didn't Jesus tell Herod about his kingdom like he did Pilate? Well, because he was already familiar with it. He already knew what his ministry was. He already knew what he was doing. So 23.10 of Luke says, The chief priests and the scribes stood and accused him, accused Christ. And Herod basically sat there and laughed at the whole thing. He looked at this guy, was beaten up, spit upon all this stuff. So this guy, you're saying this guy's going to be an insurrectionist? This guy's a king? Yeah, right. And Christ stood before Herod with a face that had been beaten black and blue from Blows that were delivered, no doubt, by the temple guard in the hearing before Caiaphas. I mean, he hardly looked like somebody that was going to overthrow the Roman government. In Luke 23, 11, Herod says this. Herod, the, the gospel says this. Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt. <laughs> says they mocked him. And they put a, a gorgeous robe on him. A bright white robe that was commonly worn by Jewish kings. But you know what? In the end, Herod found no fault with him. No accusation there. Couldn't do anything about it. And Pilate said, You have brought this man unto me, and I have examined him before you, and I have found no fault with this man. Nor did Herod. <laughs> and there's nothing worth of death here. Luke 23, verses 14 to 15. So Pilate affirmed that Herod's verdict was the same as his. He said, Hey, I sent him over there. He didn't find anything either. What do you want me to do? Because Jesus was innocent. He hadn't done anything. He wasn't some insurrectionist. He was no threat to security. The accusation of the Jews demonstrated that Christ was not a threat. He was the perfect Christ. And just his attitude. You look at the way he was before Pilate, before, before Herod. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been charged of something that you weren't guilty of? Could you hold your peace? Could you take what was ever dished out to you? I would find that rather difficult. And yet that's exactly what Christ did. So in Matthew it tells us that another way out as far as Pilate was concerned was this custom they had 
to release one of the criminals during the Passover time. And Pilate thought, look, I'm not going to condemn this man to death. He's an innocent man. I can't do that. So he tried to dish him off on Herod. That didn't work. So now he's right back before him in Matthew. And it says in verse 15, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And the key there is the crowd. Because remember, this happened so quick. I mean, on Monday, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and the crowd was just worshiping him and oh, Messiah and throwing their palm branches down on their clothes as he marched into Jerusalem. They were ready. But something quickly changed. Something quickly changed in this crowd and I think it has to do exactly with the religious leaders and their intent upon finding Jesus, even though he was innocent, they wanted him dead. So they had to work through the crowd. You could see him out there in the crowd, you know, and, and telling them, oh, this, this man's bad news. And, you know, he's going on and on and on and trying to turn the mind of those followers of Christ against him. And apparently it worked. Because the governor thought, hey, all I got to do is march Jesus out and, and ask them, say, hey, do you, want, do you want a criminal released or should I give you back Jesus? And clearly they're going to say, oh, just give us Jesus. He's not clearly an innocent man. This is all a big facade. They're not actually going to follow through with this. Even if the religious leaders want him dead, surely the crowd that was just praising him days ago, they would riot. They would overturn their own, their own religious leaders and say, no, release Jesus. Release. And so I'd have to release Jesus and everything would go away. That's what he thought. And so he brings out the, the worst of the worst, <laughs> Barabbas. And he was just not a common criminal, beloved. He was a well-known, just defiant, bad person. We don't know anything about his background, but just the way it refers to him as a notable prisoner. According to John 18.40, he was a robber. Mark 15.7 and Luke 23 19 say that he was an insurrectionist and a murderer. And he had threatened Jews as well as Romans. This was a guy who definitely didn't deserve to be released. And he was up for crucifixion. It was scheduled. It's probably during that waiting time, that three-day period where they make you wait before the execution actually takes place. He was found guilty. A lot of people believe that Jesus died on the cross that was meant for Barabbas. Right between those other thieving partners. Maybe they were his partners in crime. We don't know. Just conjecture. But this custom was something that they would do. They would release this criminal. And so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them... Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas? <laughs> this horrible man? Or Jesus? Who is called the Christ? It's interesting that Pilate adds that phrase, who is called the Christ, twice after the name of Jesus. Once in verse 17 and once in verse 22. And I think he does that to emphasize the difference between Barabbas and Christ. This guy's a common criminal. 
Even if you don't believe he's the Christ, at least people call him the Christ. So Pilate stated that Jesus was called the anointed. It's another way of saying king. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. It was approaching 6 a.m. probably. And when he gave him this choice, look at what their answer is for It says in verse 18, For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. In other words, there's no fault here. There's no finding. They're just jealous of this poor guy. And you know what? I I can't go through with this, so I'm going to give him this criminal or Jesus, and surely they'll pick pick Jesus. So you see this, this criminal who's being compared with Christ. And now here you see a little, kind of a, a, almost another little parenthesis, almost like where Judas hangs himself in this, what's going on here in Matthew. It says in verse 9, Besides, when he was sitting on the judgment seat, the seat of judgment, this is the judgment's taking place. It says his wife sent word to him. Now I don't know if, you're like me, guys. Sometimes, most times, I love to hear from my wife. A little text, a little phone call, whatever. Love it. But there are those occasions when it's like, look, now's not the time. Stop. What are you thinking? I think this was one of those times for Pilate. Like, what do you want? What? Don't you say, I'm going to see the judgment. I'm ready to, I'm dealing with life and death situations here. And what, what do you want? It says his wife was sitting, he was sitting on the judgment seat. His wife sent word to him. She, in other words, she didn't come. Be like being in a big high executive meeting or something. You know, where you, your wife, even your wife doesn't have access to you. But she gets word to you. And here's the word that was sent to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Interesting that she calls him righteous. Says, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. In other words, Pilate was given every opportunity along the way to make the right choice. To make a choice that would honor the law at least. And even his wife kind of Chimed in here. Said, don't have anything to do with this guy. He's a righteous man. We don't know what the context of her dream was. But we do know he didn't listen. Verse 20 says, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Once again, you see here this mob mentality. Nobody's thinking on their own. They're not comparing the facts. They're not looking at the facts of the case. They're just listening to these religious leaders. Incite them. So you see the concern of of his wife and then ultimately it's the choice. Which one do you want? 
Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Okay, fine, I understand. You want Barabbas released? Got it. Loud and clear. But what do you want me to do with this guy? This man who stands before you, what what do you want me to do with him? I'll deliver Barabbas to you, but tell me what to do with this guy. And it says, they all said, let him be crucified. And see, he's still appealing to him. He's trying to get some common sense out of him. He's saying, why? What has he done? At least tell me something that he's done. But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And Pilate saw before his eyes this riot of people starting to get rowdy. And he's thinking, oh man, if Rome hears about this, I'm done. They've had it with me. I'm here to be a peacemaker. I'm not here to cause riots. And yet this is what's happening. What do I do? So he attempts to cleanse himself. They shouted, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, in other words, they had the hand up on him. There's no way he's going to get out of this. But rather a riot was beginning. He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd. And this is a custom they had. A custom that was very well known. They wanted basically Jesus' blood And nothing Pilate tried to do would change that. He didn't want to violate justice, but he also didn't want to start a riot. And so here he is before these people about ready to make a decision that's clearly not right. And he has to wash his hands of responsibility of it. Clearly. He knew what he was doing. He clearly knew that it was wrong. And so he washes his hands before the people as if to say, hey, this isn't my responsibility anymore. I am innocent of this man's blood. If you're going to do this, go ahead. Not my problem anymore. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, look at him. Look at how hard and hateful and evil their hearts are. His blood be on us. And then they throw their children in there for good measure. And on our children. What a horrible, horrible decision to make. It says, then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him over to be crucified I think that that scourging happened somewhere in the midst here as a way almost of Pilate saying look I'll beat him up a little bit because the other gospel accounts kind of tell us that he brought Jesus out and, and here's Barabbas he's probably looking pretty healthy about this time he's been in jail for a while and here's Jesus flogged Skin ripped open, probably his organs showing. Beat up. Crown of thorns upon his head. Just, I mean, you know, you stop and you think of the, 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 the mob mentality here. I mean, Pilate almost was trying to do the right thing. He didn't want to make the decision. He was trying to get the people to make that decision. But in the end... They wouldn't have anything 
to do with it. And it says there clearly that he was delivered over to be crucified. Now, when we understand what the scriptures tell us concerning the crucifixion of Christ, we're going to be going into that in the coming weeks. But I just want you to know here, beloved, that it was not an easy thing for any human being to go through. It was not a a time where Jesus kind of just said, okay, let's just get this done with. No, it was, it was horrible. What was done to our Savior on that day, that, that morning and that afternoon, in the crucifixion. I mean, he was so beat up before his crucifixion, he couldn't even carry his own cross. I mean, you're talking about the Son of God, the man who created everything, and yet he couldn't pick up a piece of wood that he created and carry it to his own crucifixion. That's how physically distraught and traumatized his body was. And when you stop and you think of the the simple fact that Jesus Christ is innocent, he's perfect, he's holy, he didn't deserve any of that. The, The Old Testament says that he was the perfect lamb of God that was offered for sin. And that lamb had to be without blemish, spotless, perfect. And we see that Christ endured these mock trials. He was totally capable of serving as this perfect Lamb of God to die for the sins of the world. In the world of religious and irreligious men inspired by Satan, the devil himself, they couldn't even find anything wrong with him. No accusation was brought. And yet they still convicted him to death. I almost look at this as if Jesus wasn't on trial, everybody else was. Jesus wasn't on trial, everybody else was. I want to ask you that question, what do you do with Jesus Christ? What do you do with this man who calls himself the Christ? Because what you do with Jesus Christ determines your eternal destiny. Stop and think of your options for a second. You can hate him like the religious leaders did. You can reject him like the crowd did. You can mock him like Herod took occasion to do. Or you can even be like Pilate's wife and have nothing to do with him. I don't have anything to do with him. Just be ambivalent about the whole thing. Or you can get rid of him, try to, like Pilate did. See, whatever you choose will choose your choice for eternity. I mean, why not this morning reject all those choices? Why not this morning choose to follow in the steps of Christ, the Savior, the loving man-God, the one who gave his life for us? And as a result, you receive those blessings and that forgiveness that God offers us Not just for today, but for all eternity. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that it speaks directly to our hearts through the power of your spirit. Father, I pray for every soul that's gathered here this morning. I don't know where their hearts are. I don't know if they're followers of you. If they put their faith, their trust, their hope 
in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save them from their sin? Or if they haven't, I don't know that. Only you do. But God, I pray that they would listen to reason. I pray that they would listen to the Spirit of God that's calling them, that's wooing them. Pray that they would listen to the words of Christ, that he's there to take their burden from them. For his yoke is easy. His burden is light. You don't need to carry the burden of your sin into all eternity. Jesus is here. He's here today. He died on a cross. And the reason he died on that cross and was treated in the way he was and yet uttered not one protest because he knew that he was securing the forgiveness of your sin and mine for all eternity. He was defeating Satan once and for all, for all eternity. And Father, I pray this morning that if there's any here who have yet to put their faith or trust in you, I pray that they would cry out to you this morning, have mercy on my soul, Lord. Save me from my sin. I want to turn my life over to this man, this God-man, Jesus, who is called Christ. I want to yield my will to his. I want a taste of his forgiveness, of his grace. I want to follow him and live my life for him. Because he clearly did so much for me. If that's your prayer this morning, I want to just encourage you to pray that out to God even now as we sit here in the quietness of this moment. God, save me. Save me from my sin. Help me to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we approach our communion time and we sing a couple songs together, I pray that you would examine your own hearts, believers. Our communion time is an open communion. In other words, it's not just for the members and regular tenders here at Grace Bible Church, but if you're visiting here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're more than welcome to participate in our communion table. On the other hand, if you don't know Christ, if you've never put your faith, your trust in Him, then we would ask that you just pass the elements by and, and it doesn't really have any meaning to you. These are symbols of what Christ went through, of his blood and of his body. There's no salvation in partaking of communion. This is just symbolic and it's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. But the Bible is very clear for believers that if there's something in our life that we need to deal with and we need to confess it now. We need to get it out between you and God just quietly in this moment and ask Him to just fill you once again with His Spirit. Thank Him for His forgiveness and don't partake of this table in an unworthy manner in a way that would bring dishonor to Christ. So Father, we thank you for this time. We ask you to bless our time of communion in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. 